let him live again. Second meeting I ever held. I preached the first time. Nobody invited me anywhere. My own mother said, you're crazy. You, you don't know nobody. You're leaving this job. I said, madness, it is so. But I have to do what I'm doing. I preached in a longer park in Luton, Texas. Had a wonderful meeting. Well, a man invited me to a little Pentecostal church of God and walks in, in, uh, up, up around Fort Worth, Wichita Falls, Texas. At the first night, little lady come in, 76 years old, with that little brochure about the size of that, this that I've got here, about this size, had my picture on it, inviting her to the church. It's on her door. Well, she'd come into the place, look me up. She'd come and said, I, I, I got this. I'm not a member of this church. But said, I got this on my door. And said, I saw your picture. And God said, you're going to heal my daddy. That's her husband. Been married 56 years. I said, is he here tonight, ma'am? No. Where is he? In the insane asylum. Now, I've been preaching all of a month. <laughs> now, they want me over to the insane asylum. I said, well, <clears throat> she said, well, we go in the morning. I said, no, we will. Well, we didn't go Tuesday, but Wednesday and no further. She's there every night, every night. Well, we went. Those days, insane asylum, not like they are now. You walked into that, there's a wire cage like people, humans back there behind that wire, hanging on to that wire, eyes sunk in their head, and God said to me, these used to love and laugh like you, but a thief come. He let me know what brought this all up. Standing there, no nobody, nobody taught me nothing, just feeling no way, fell in a lot of holes, but looking for God, and he said to me, the problem here is the devil. Well, they brought the old man out. He didn't know his wife of 56 years, hadn't known her for years. He's an Alzheimer. They didn't know that then, but I know that's what it was. He's beyond repair. He doesn't know her. When they brought him in the little room where we were to pray, they had to bend his knees. He didn't have enough brain to sit down. They set him down, and the boy said to me, when you get through, just call me, and I'll come get him. Well, he closed the door. I laid hands on the old man. And I said, Jesus, heal him. And I said, tell the man to come get him. Oh, the woman went mad. Oh, she went to holler at me. I thought she was going to do something. I said, what do you want me to do? Turn the chair over. What am I supposed to do? I just said, Jesus, heal him. Amen. That's all. All the way home, Jesus screaming, never come to church that night. Well, those days, you either stayed in the Sunday school room or the parsonage. That's where the evangelists live. They know no motels, nowhere they're going to put you. You either stayed in the Sunday school room in the church or you stayed in the parsonage. We're in the parsonage. Amen. In that parsonage, I remember they had five kids. We had two. One bathroom, a door come in from one bedroom and went out another to another bedroom. And while you were in there, there's no locks. You had to sing the whole time that you're in there. That's the way it was. But I can tell you it kept everything simple. I said it kept everything simple. Oh, yes, sir. We, but I, that morning, we're sitting there eating breakfast, and that phone rang. And when he picked it up, I knew it was that old woman because she's still a-hollering. I mean, I could hear her. He said, she wants to talk to you. I said, Pastor, I don't know what to do. I've said everything I know to say. I don't know. He said, well, talk to her. Well, she's a-hollering at me. And I said, ma'am, you have to slow it down. I don't know what you're saying. She said, I'm telling you, my oldest son lives in Fort Worth. And for my daddy to be in that insane asylum, he had to sign that paper. And for him to get out, he's got to sign it. 
He's on his way now. I said, what are you telling me? I'm telling you, he's in that dress. And where's my wife? He's in that church that night. My God, that's Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Amen. Hallelujah. hallelujah. Oh, my God. Hallelujah. That with a religious glory. Program. Glory. Father, we come to you tonight in the name of Jesus, and we thank you, Lord, that in accordance with your word, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You change not. You are the omnipotent, the omniscient, the wonderful, the holy, the glorious God. You are he who changes not. You are he, O God, who doesn't move with the time, but establishes the times. You are he, Lord God, who moves the mountain. O God, you make the mountain shake. You make, O O God, the seas to roar. You are the Lord God. You are he at whom, O God, the winds break, O God, and the tides relax, O God, in your presence, O God. You are he, O God, of whom it is written that there is none other. You are above only. You are the glorious, the wonderful, the coming King. And tonight, Lord God, we gather forth to worship you, to give you glory, to give you honor, to remember, O God, that you are the Lord, our God, our King, our wonderful one. And we gather, Lord, in your presence with joy and gladness Lord oh hallelujah oh hallelujah glory to you father glory to you father glory Lord oh God as we gather tonight we ask you Lord to come in strength and come in power oh God we ask you oh God to remind us Lord God that you haven't changed the times have changed yes oh God some oh God have tried to change your church yes it is true Oh, God, the great apostasy, the great falling away has begun. Yes, that too is true. But it doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change your majesty, your glory, your power, your omnipotence, your omnipresence, your omniscience. It doesn't make you back down, oh God, not for one second. You still loose the bonds of the captive, oh God. You still shatter the shackles. You still break the yoke of bondage. You still lift up the beggar from the dunghill. You still transform, oh God, and transmogrify. You still, Lord God, God, liberate and love and we come tonight to glory in the presence of such an one as he who is the one the only the true the living God the redeemer of humanity our Lord our God and our Savior we worship you tonight Lord we worship you tonight Lord we worship and we glorify your name Let's worship, brethren. Let's worship. Father, we love you. We worship and adore you. Glorify thy name. Glorify thy name. In all the in earth. In all the earth. Come on, sing it. Glorify thy name. Glorify thy name, glorify thy name, glorify thy name in all the earth. 
Jesus, we love you. We worship and adore you. Glorify thy name in all the earth. Yes, yes. Come on, worship. Glorify thy name. Glorify thy name. Glorify thy name in all the earth. Spirit now. Spirit, we love you. We worship and adore you. Glorify thy name in all the earth. Glorify thy name. Glorify thy name. Glorify thy name in all the Glorify thy name, glorify thy name, glorify thy name in all the earth, glorify thy name in all the faith come on I need you to soften my heart I need you to soften my heart and break me apart I need you to open my eyes to see that is shaping
Give him a hand clap. Come on. Worship the Lord your God. Worship him. Worship him. Worship him. Worship him. Worship him. Come on. We're going to continue to worship. Next song is called Grace So Glorious. Beneath the cross of Jesus Christ, no shadow remains. Beneath the cross of Jesus Christ. No shadow remains for shame to hide. Redemption shown for all to see. Perfection bore our penalty with a grace so glorious. Crown of 
His law gave way to liberty and freedom for humanity with a grace so glorious. And oh, the glory of the Savior's love. No, forever we are welcomed home. Forever we are welcomed home. Crowned in glory to glory, worthy is the Lord of all the glory forever. Holy is the Lord, crowned in glory to glory. Lift your hands, worship your God. Yes. What a wonderful, holy God. Triumphant praises without end. Triumphant praises without end. All hailing the King of Righteousness. All hailing the King of Righteousness. And every eye beholds the one. And every eye beholds our hearts one deserving of deserving of with a grace so glorious and oh, No, he's worthy. Worship, worship. At his feet, all in worship at his feet, and raised to reign eternally in a grace so glorious. Oh, in a grace so glorious. 
Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, look how the Lord lifted us up out of the dunghill. Oh, God, and for all that you've done, we are so grateful. So grateful, so grateful, so grateful. Lord, I just want to take a moment and sing that. Let's sing that. Let's sing about how grateful we are to this great, good God. Yes, come on. Just sing, just sing, come on. Grateful, grateful. Hallelujah. Glory to you. 
Hallelujah. Your show is scheduled to start in 12 seconds. Your show will go live in 5 seconds. 4, 3, 2, 1. Come on, sing to him, sing to him. Grateful, 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 grateful. scripture of that Jesus healed ten lepers, but only one turned back to give thanks. Be that one tonight. Come on. You might be in a difficult situation, but come on. Remember the time that he did heal you. Maybe tonight you're sick, but remember that time he did heal you. Remember when he did set you free. Remember when the provision did arrive and turn back and be grateful. Remember tonight that he saved you. Remember tonight that he set you free. Remember tonight that he shed his blood back on Calvary and be grateful. Remember tonight you've got a roof over your head. Be grateful. You might not have your best call, but you have transportation. Be grateful. You may not have a Brooks Brothers suit, but you've got clothes on your back and shoes on your feet. Be grateful. You may not be eating filet mignon, but you ate today. Grateful. He made the sun to shine. You opened your eyes this morning and saw the glory of a sunrise. Grateful. You can hear tonight the sound of my voice. Grateful. Your marriage may be in trouble, but you have hope that you will be sustained and divorce will be pushed out of sight. Grateful. Come on. Come on. You're standing in the gap for your kids because they're not acting right and they don't know the Lord, but he's given them time to repent. Grateful. Yeah, they're shooting something in their arm. But they haven't overdosed and they haven't died. There's hope that tonight could be their night. Be grateful. Come on, lift your hands. Worship your God. Worship your God. And tell him, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Yes. 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 From my heart. Yes. Come on, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's grateful. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, Father, we thank you tonight. We are grateful tonight, Lord. We worship you tonight, Lord, because you are wonderful. 
Oh God, we worship you because of what you've done and because of what we trust you are going to do. We acknowledge you as the one, the truly, the only living God. And we give you glory and we honor you. We honor you, Lord God, because we know that you are God, because we know that you are true, because we know, Lord God, that you never fail. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What a great good father. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, Lord, hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you. Let, let's worship for one more song, and then we're going to be going to the word of the Lord. We're going to be opening tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Prepare your hearts. Let's worship. me grateful. Find me on my knees. Find me dreaming. Find me singing. Find me lost in your grace. against your face again till the breath of your hope fills the depths of my soul find me grateful
Brothers, sisters, friends, let's go to the word of the Lord tonight. You know, the hardest thing for me when the Lord founds a message on a singular verse is to only read that verse. I want to give you context, so I want to read the verses before and after, and then I just want to read the whole chapter, and then I just want to read the whole book. And then I want to read the book before it and the book after, and then I just want to sit here and read Genesis through Revelation because the word of the Lord is so amazing. So amazing. So amazing. But we're going to open tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And I do want to give you a little context. So I'm, I'm aiming for verse 15. But I'm going to start all the way back in verse 8. Now you are full, 
now you are rich. You have reigned as kings without us, and I would to God that you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has set us, set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were, appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honorable, but we are despised. Even to this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. And labor, working with our hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made the filth of the earth and the offscouring of all things to this day. I write not these things to your shame, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. And here's where I really want to go. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be followers of me. For this cause have I sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up as though I will not come to you, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will. And will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in words, but in power. What will you? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love? And in the spirit of meekness. Again, I want to focus on verse 15. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. Have you not many fathers? Let's pray. Holy God, we come to you tonight. We worship you. We praise you and we thank you. Father, you said that you have set your word above your very own name. We read in scripture where you sent your word and healed a people. Send your word tonight, Lord. For we live in a broken and perverse generation, desperately in need of your healing. Father, we want to fulfill prophecy tonight. We want to see your word made true and ring true tonight. We want to see the hearts of children turn back to their fathers and the fathers turn back to their children. We want, O oh God, to resurrect a generation. And if possible, Lord God, hold back your wrath just a little while longer to make room for more in the kingdom. Grant us this grace tonight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I have much to say to you tonight, and, and I want to prepare you because I have no intention either of teaching or of preaching. I may do a little bit of both, but 
if it's okay with you, I really just want to speak from the heart tonight. And I want to frame our conversation around this glorious passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And here, Paul is writing. And I want to focus, originally I intended to deliver this message, if you want to call it that. More rightly, it would, might be said, I, I wanted to have this conversation with you. I wanted to call forth a generation. And this message is one that God has been burdening my heart with for over a year now. And my intent was to deliver it for Father's Day. And then there was illness in my home. And then last week there were technical difficulties and we couldn't get on. And so I, I thank those of you who have gathered tonight. And I want to speak to you about this subject of not many fathers. Have you not many fathers? And here, if you look, Paul is giving you the outline of what a father is. So let's focus first on this verse. He says, I write not these things to your shame, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel, wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. So let me start there. First of all, look at the age in which we live, and what Paul said then could be doubly and triply said today. We live in an age where because of the internet, because of technology, also because... Um, the gospel has become a means of financial gain. We have myriads upon myriads upon myriads upon myriads upon myriads of voices over the internet, the television, the radio. Everywhere you look, there are voices, voices, voices rising up. And some of these are good and some are bad, but at the end of the day, you would be hard-pressed in any place where technology is readily available, you would almost have to, you would have to lie to say, I can't find a single teacher. Now, you might be hard-pressed to find someone teaching truth, teaching the scripture without compromise, teaching the full counsel of scripture. But you definitely have many, many, many teachers in our generation, but not many fathers. And Paul defines what it means to be a father. Physically, but what it means physically, he now expresses in the spiritual when he says, for in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. So what is a father? See, mothers in our generation are greatly honored. And we know who mothers are. Mothers travail greatly. Mothers carry a baby for up to nine months in their bodies. Their psyche, their brain chemistry, their hormones, their body from head to toe, even their shoe size changes as a consequence of carrying this baby. Everything about life has changed. Her health, everything, everything changes. And so we understand what it means for a mother to beget children. 
But Paul says, no, as a father, I have begotten you. What does it mean for a father to beget children? See, a true father, a daddy, I'm not talking about some sperm donor. Forgive me, I'm not trying to be vulgar. I'm not talking about a sperm donor. I'm talking about fathers. I'm talking about daddies. A dad is there at the mother's side the entire time she goes through that pregnancy. He deals with changes also. And he tries to provide stability and comfort and love and support. And though he does not deal with all the things a mother deals with, he provides what she needs to get through it. And Paul is saying, I begot you through the preaching of the gospel. Spiritually, I am a father. Why? I sowed the seed of the word in you. But you see, Paul makes very clear. Just like any man can be a sperm donor, anyone can drop a word here and there and claim to have fathered someone. But that's not what fathering is. Because he goes on to talk about the great travail with which he has got for he has begotten them. He talks about being made a fool for Christ's sake. He talks about being made weak, of being despised. He talks about going hungry and thirsting and being naked and buffeted, having no certain dwelling place, of laboring and working, of being reviled, yet blessing, being persecuted, suffering it willingly being defamed but entreating God for favor of those who defame him, being made the filth of the earth and the offscouring of all things. In other words, what Paul is saying, and men hear me, hear me, because too many in our generation are abandoning their proper position as fathers. And I mean that both physically in the home and I mean that also spiritually in our churches, in our communities. In fact, let me take a side note for one minute and settle the debate on all these women preachers and pastors and women pastoring churches and senior pastors who are women who we see and evangelists and missionaries, etc., etc. Men, you have no standing to accuse those women of being unbiblical if you refuse to pick up the mantle that God has given you. I agree with you that God has ordained order whereby men should stand in places of authority. But I am sick of seeing men who will relegate the work and relegate the prayer time and relegate the preaching and relegate all the difficulties of the gospel and of the church to women and sit in a chair and give up their authority. You see, men, we do not claim our authority by holding it over people and being overbearing and enforcing with our physical strength and a rod of iron our authority. That's why Paul says, I am weak. In fact, he says, I glory in my weakness. At times where he could have jumped up in strength, he would rather be made weak so that his children could appear strong. 
And as men of God, we are elevated as we are willing to be humbled. As we spend more time on our knees and on our faces before God and crying out, we are empowered. And as we are willing to submit to the will and the calling of God, we are empowered. But when we sit back and rest on the fact that I make some money and I drop a donation into the offering bucket and think that that's enough, we usurp our own authority. Yes, Paul talks about working with his hands and laboring and paying his own way. He talks about being a provider so that he wouldn't be a burden to the church. But he also talks about working and laboring and he also talks about praying and he also talks about interceding and entreating and he talks about willing to be humble and willing to be patient. A true father is all of these things. And I'm sick of seeing men who don't know what manhood is. And so they don't act like men. They don't assume the position of men. But then they're frustrated and angry at the growth of feminism inside the church. Listen, you can bind the spirit of Jezebel as much as you want. Your words will have no power until you step up and submit to the authority of God and begin to do that thing to which he has called you. Are you hearing me tonight? Listen, for all the debate about submission and women, no, they don't like that word. And let me tell you something. I have yet to meet a woman who would not willingly submit to a man of God whose heart is right before God. Because that man will not abuse his authority. That man provides stability. That man provides a level of comfort. And he holds that woman at the place from which she came. Rib. The place closest to his heart and to his lungs. The place of his breathing and the sustenance of his life. He calls her to his side, not under his heel. Therefore, because he doesn't try to put her under his feet, she never tries to usurp the authority of his head. Fathers, we have an urgent need for fathers in the church again. And I know already some of you are thinking, wait, didn't Jesus say call no man father? For you have one father and that is your father in heaven. Yes, 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 I understand that. And that's why the other incredible thing about spiritual fathers is they don't demand the title. They don't run around calling everybody their spiritual son and demanding to be recognized. That's the humility and the love of spiritual fathering. Because you recognize at the end that it's not me. See, for though I labor much for my spiritual children and my physical children, it is God who gives me strength to get wealth whether that wealth be physical or that wealth be spiritual or that wealth be intellectual. I know what I know. I can do what I do. I carry the authority that I carry because I submit to God. And so at the end of the day, I know that I am not the true father. It is God, the father in heaven who is, and I am just willing to be a conduit to his glory. 
And unlike Lucifer, I will not turn around to see the people turning to God and demand that that glory be shared with me. The true spiritual father is humble. He's too busy bowing at the feet of Jesus to see the crowd behind him and desire part of that glory. He's too busy worshiping at Jesus' feet to desire the crown upon his head. Do you hear me? Spiritual fathers. Our world is in need of fathers. In our homes, in our schools, in our communities. Ladies, please, I take nothing from you. But the Bible never said, honor your mother and period. Honor your father and your mother. And we here, especially in the West, live in a generation because, see, we don't understand equality. We think equality is sameness. We don't understand position and authority. We don't understand order anymore. And so in trying to right the wrongs of how women have been treated, we now feel it necessary to belittle men or to erase manhood. We think it necessary to create 72 different genders and let everybody choose. But I read in Genesis where he made them male and female, male and female created he them, and he called their name Adam, man. See, he saw them as one and equal, Adam. Humanity, man. Yet he made them of two different genders. And he had a purpose for women. And he had a purpose for men. And men cannot do their job properly without women. But women were never intended to do the jobs of men. Now, please don't take that out of context. I'm not saying that women can't be the head of a corporation or something like that. That's not where I'm going, please. I'm talking in a very spiritual context. I'm talking in the context of your home. Don't twist my words and don't look for offense where it wasn't intended. Stay with me. You see, one of the signs of the end times and one of the promises of Jesus Christ I'm sorry, one of the promises of the Bible before the coming of Jesus Christ. In the very, 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 very last book of the prophets, the very last book of the Old Testament, prophet Malachi spoke and then there were 400 years of silence. And people love to quote Malachi to talk about, you know, the tithing and bringing the tithe into the storehouse. I want to go past that to the very last chapter of Malachi. And he talks about the coming of the day of the Lord. He talks about the coming of the judgment. He comes about all these things. And in talking about the day of the Lord, he talks about the day of, 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 of where wickedness shall be stubble and they shall be burned up. But those who fear the Lord, my name, but to you that fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. He talks about authority and power that will come. And he reminds them to remember the law. 
of Moses. And then he ends with these words. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. That's what I meant when I prayed today that I want to fulfill prophecy tonight. Not talking about speaking and saying, thus says the Lord and creating some new doctrine. Talking about Bible prophecy. Only a fool would doubt that we are getting closer and closer to the end. Multiple different international organizations have now declared that we are living in an age of the greatest persecution against Christians ever in history. Worse even than the purges set forth by the Roman Catholic Church. Worse even than the persecutions under the Roman Caesars worse even than Nero or Caligula did to the church. The violence against the church today around the world is worse than anything. And I'm not just talking, listen, I'm not talking. Though I don't belittle that, but I'm not talking about some of the things we've seen here in the West where businesses are being threatened and people are trying to take crosses off of grave sites. I'm talking about martyrdom. I'm talking about being burned alive. I'm talking about being decapitated. I'm talking about being beaten to death. I'm talking about kidnappings and mass rapes, etc. And it's happening all over the world against the body of Christ. We've also already begun to see the great apostasy or the great falling away. I mentioned before how there are so many teachers but not many good ones. And there are so many today falling into error and so many today falling away from the gospel because they've been inoculated against the true gospel by a false gospel of prosperity and wealth that makes you love money and greed and feed your flesh more than your spirit. We're coming toward the end. But God said before the coming of that great and terrible day, I will send Elijah. Now Jesus made clear by saying, if you're willing to believe, John the Baptist is Elijah, that God was not talking necessarily about physically sending the man Elijah, but sending the spirit of Elijah. Elijah was a man like you and I. He was a human being with like desires and weaknesses and temptations. Yet he was a man so given to prayer that when he prayed, God shut up the rain from the earth for years. And he's talking about returning that spirit of prayer, that spirit of dedication, that spirit of faith, that spirit of prophecy, not the fake spirit of prophecy that we see where you go to church and someone divines your phone number. But I'm talking about true prophecy where someone speaks this word of God in such a way that kingdoms tremble and that nations are transformed and that lives are changed and men and women are born again. I know I said I wasn't going to preach. I really am just talking to you, but my heart is passionate about this. 
And so the spirit of Elijah will come to turn the heart of fathers back to their children. You see, especially here in the West, and I don't know if this is happening in every part of the world, but I know that in much of Europe, in Canada, in the United States, and I know that it's seeping from us down south into a lot of Latin America. Manhood is being belittled. Manhood is being cheapened. Men are being stripped. They're being psychologically and emotionally castrated and left not knowing what manhood is. I read three different articles recently by the way, before anyone accused me of anything, written by women doctors, two of psychology, one of sociology, and actually there was a fourth written by a woman doctor. And all of them talked, in, I'm generalizing to put all of them together, but they talked about the problem that young, educated, successful, strong independent women are having finding husbands and they all came to the same conclusion. It's not that these women are too strong to submit to a husband or find a husband or want a husband or accept a husband. But every time they find men and they've really researched and studied this, they said the problem is these women find men and they don't act like men, they act like women. And the interesting thing is three of these women would consider themselves on some level or another to be feminists. Two of them are staunch, radical feminists who have been involved in the feminist movement since the 1970s, and they all declared the fault lies on us. We have broken and persecuted manhood in little boys who have now grown up to be something less than men to be more like women than they are the men they were intended to be. They're scared to death of their own manhood. But when our girls grow up and become women, they realize that they need a man at their side and what they're finding instead is guys who make really good girlfriends but can't make a, a marriage because they're not men. And as a result, we see the growing fatherlessness in our generation. We are now reaching a point, I believe, almost half, if not already surpassing half, of all children in the United States of America are being raised without a father in the home. And in African-American homes, that's, even, that's an even larger statistic. I believe it's over 70% being raised with no father in the home. And for those of you who might say, well, that doesn't matter. If you have a good mother. And by the way, for all the advocates of Pride Month that we're having right now, who would say, well, two women or two men, no. The research bears out that you're wrong. You can try to deny the word of God, but research is caught up to the word of God. And let me tell you what we find. Let me give you a few statistics about why fatherhood is so important. Number one, 63% of all youth suicides are from fatherless homes. That's according to the U.S. Department of Health. By the way, according to the Census Bureau, that's five times the national average. 63% of all youth suicides 
are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes, 90%. Only 10% of homeless or runaway children actually have a father involved in their lives. 85% of all children who show behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. 70% of youth in state-operated institutions in other words, 70% of all incarcerated youth come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth in prison come from fatherless homes. That's talking about prison versus a youth detention center. 71% of pregnant teenagers lack a father, according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions have no father. Oh, I said that one already. Fatherless boys and girls are twice as likely to drop out of school, twice as likely to end up in jail, four times more likely to need help for emotional and behavioral problems, according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. In terms of education, fatherless children are twice as likely to drop out of school. Children with a father in the home who is involved in their lives are 40% less likely to ever repeat a grade, 70% less likely to drop out, are more likely to get A's, are more likely to enjoy school, and more likely to engage in extracurricular activities. In a home where a father is involved, children with involved loving fathers, let me say that again, involved loving fathers. Physically living there is not what they're talking about. We're talking about living there and making the sacrifice and talking to your children and being a part of their life and not looking at mom like it's her responsibility to raise the kids while you earn the bread. Yes, men, we must be the breadwinners. I agree with that. Listen, the Bible says that a man who calls himself a believer yet does not take care of his responsibility at home is worse than a heathen. Look it up. And yet we're talking about beyond just providing, we also have to find the time. We're going to have to lose some sleep. We're going to have to wake up early sometimes even on the weekends. We're going to have to stay up late and get things done around the house. Our wives should never be able to say, I have no help with these children. You have my help. You may not have more help. You may not have all the help you need. But you have our help, ladies. We are your husbands and we are fathers. And you have our help. And even to those single moms, if you're a Christian man in the community, especially if you have no kids, you have a couple of kids and your kids have a friend who has no father, then you be a father to them. 
Yes, it means sacrifice. Yes, it means spending more money. Yes, it means buying more food. Yes, it means spending more time counseling. Yes, it means giving more of your heart. Yes, it means risking getting hurt. Yes, it means some of them will stab you in the back. Yes, it means some of them will be ungrateful. Yes, it means some of them will forget who you are. Yes, it means sometimes after all your sacrifice, you won't even be invited to the wedding. Who cares? You do it anyway because you're reflecting the heart of Father God. And Father God makes his reign to fall on the just and the unjust. He makes his sun to shine on the just and the unjust. And we do it because it's what God made us to do. And look at the difference we make. Children with involved loving fathers are significantly more likely to do well in school, to have healthy self-esteem, to exhibit empathy and pro-social behavior, to avoid high-risk behaviors such as drug use, truancy, and criminal activity compared to children who have an uninvolved father. Studies on parent-child relation and child well-being show that the father's love, the father's love, is an important factor in predicting the social, emotional, and cognitive development and functioning of children and young adults. Fathers, stop backing off when they become teenagers. Stop backing off of your girls when they become teenagers and sending them to mom and saying, well, she's a young lady now. It's time for her to learn from mom. No, she's going to learn how men can treat her by the way you love her. Stay involved. Stay engaged. Yes, with our sons, we've got to back off and we've got to give them room. We've got to let them fail. We've got to let them face their own challenges. But we're still their coach. We're still in their corner. We're still their greatest support. And we are still the authority in their lives. Fathers who live with their children are more likely to have a close and enduring relationship with their children than those who do not. Please hear me, men. The relationship with your wife has gone south. You're not as intimate as you used to be. You don't talk as much as you used to. She doesn't give you back rubs as often as she used to. She doesn't hold your hand. She doesn't compliment you as much as she used to because she's tired and she's burnt out and she's dealing with the kids all day. Before you get frustrated, before you let your eye wander, remember the cost. You betray that wife, you betray those children as well. Stay in the home. Stay in the home. Deny yourself. Pray to God to give you the fruit of self-control. Yeah, but you don't know, Pastor. Listen, I don't mean to sound weak, but I have needs too. Then turn to God. I need someone to pat me on the back and tell me to turn to God. Turn to his word. By the way, men, that's why we need men's groups that are not just a bunch of let's hang out and crack a few jokes. Stop this foolishness. We need men's groups. And by the way, stop over-spiritualizing it too. I've been in churches where men's group is, we all come in, we pray, we read some scripture, someone or two or three guys who know a little more about scripture break down what the scripture means, we pray again and all leave. No, we need men's groups that are real. 
Yeah, sometimes we need to go hunting together. We need to go camping together. We need to stand around in fellowship. Yes, we need to pray. Yes, we need to talk about the word. But we also need to build relationships where we can have at least one other man on this planet who we can turn to and say, I'm in trouble, brother. Would you pray for me? And he's not going to judge and he's not going to put you down, but he's going to stand with you. And he's also not going to have a pity party and wink at your sin, but he's going to tell you to straighten up. He's going to tell you to fly right. He's going to tell you to go love her. Yeah, She's not being loving. Love her anyway. You're supposed to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. He loved the church sacrificially. He loved us when we were turning against him, when we were lost in our sin and unworthy of his love. He turned, oh, with... With, 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 with total abandon to self and for the glory of God, the Father got up on that cross and let them nail him, spit on him, abuse him. Oh, God, come on, man. We can do better than we're doing. We can't do it in our own strength, but we can do it in his. We can't do it in our own wisdom, but we can do it in his. We don't have the spiritual strength, the mental acuity, or the physical acumen to do it, but we have it all in Christ. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory, and his riches are limitless. Brothers, hear me. He will give strength. He will give power. He will give everything you need. Just stand by him. Listen to what Paul said. When we're reviled, we entreat. Oh, brother, you don't understand. My wife is going through those changes now, and her tongue is sharp, and she hurts me. And? And you entreat, and you bless, and you love, and you bring her before God and let him heal that heart. She's still his daughter, and he still trusts you to love her the way he loved his church. You can do it. Children who live absent their biological fathers on average are at least two to three times more likely to be poor, more likely to use drugs, more likely to experience educational, health, and emotional and behavioral problems. They're more likely to be the victims of child abuse, they are more likely to engage in criminal behavior than their peers who live with their married biological parents or adoptive parents. And by the way, if you're African American, this applies to you in disproportionate numbers. 72% of all African American families have no father in the home versus 17% of Asians, 29% of whites, 53% of Hispanics, and 66% of Native Americans. Hear me, please. We have the power. We won't ever erase it, but we can put the biggest dent ever in the crime problem, the drug abuse problem, poverty, school shootings, etc. by being fathers to the fatherless and fathers to our own children, but not father by title. Listen, I'm not speaking down to you, and I'm not tooting my own horn, 
I know where I fail. But I make it my business. One of the first prayers I pray every day, oh God, let me do better than I did yesterday, today. Get glory for your name through me. And then I pray for my wife and I pray for my boys and I say, God, help me to be a good father to them. Help me when I just want to be authoritarian, when I just want to bring down the hammer and the rod to hold back and listen to my children, to be strong where they need strength and to back off where they need independence. And it's not easy. And when I stumble, I turn to him in disgrace because I know, Lord, I've failed you in the worst way possible. I am here to represent your glory. My marriage should represent your glorious relationship to your church. And my home should represent your power in the earth. Help me to do better. We need fathers. And I don't think there's a woman listening, especially a woman, single mom who has children, who wouldn't agree with me. Listen, you might disagree. You might say, well, the father, their father, it's better for them not to have him in the home. You don't know the mess he was. But they need a father. And yes, it would be best for them if God could have somehow cleaned up their dad. And women, I want to admonish you, please be very careful. I don't care how bad he was to you. Be very, very, very careful how you talk about men generally and about your children's fathers. One of the most emasculating places on planet Earth is the hair salon. In a community where there are many, many women without husbands. Number one, because you bring your boys to the salon with you. Please stop that. Drop them off at the barber shop. They need to be around men. Let a man cut their hair. Let them hear men talking like men. But you bring them into the salon. And you let them listen to women bad-mouthing men and talking about men and talking about men. And you think it's going to help them so they grow up not to be like them. But what you're doing is sowing the seeds of self-hatred in their heart. Because they'll sit there and go, yeah, daddy's horrible. Yeah, men are bad. Yeah, men are evil. I'm going to be different And what they'll find the minute hormones kick in, the minute pop puberty comes. The first thing they're going to find is I'm a man like he was a man. And they're going to hate themselves. And that self-hatred will almost guarantee they either turn into what they hated or they turn into something worse. Be careful, ladies. Be careful, ladies. How you speak about men in the presence of your children. If you can, build their daddy up. Come on. And men... Hear me, I want to talk to men who may have been estranged from their wives. Listen, whether it was your fault, her fault, at the end of the day, you're not with the mother of your children anymore. But you're still involved in your children's lives. Shut up about her when you're around them. You see, by you cursing their mom and putting their mom down when you're around them, you're teaching them that you can't be trusted. 
You're teaching them that they can't be that you can't be trusted. Yeah, but you don't know what she says about me. Uh-uh-uh. Don't tell them she's a liar. Just show them your love. Show them your dedication. Show them your tenacity. Show them your authority. Show them that you're a good father. And you won't have to say anything about her. Let your relationship with her be your relationship with her. Don't let it flow into them. Men who are true men, true men of God. I want to challenge you to get even more involved in the lives of your children. And if you have no children, I want to challenge you to get more involved in your church. I want to see more men taking responsibility. I want to see more men leading. I want to see more men leading worship, more men reading scripture, more men preaching the gospel. I want to see more men cleaning the floors. But you know what I want to see also? I would love to walk into children's church and see men. This is a church, I won't name it, that my wife and I have visited a couple of times. And I'm going to be honest, there's some things we like, some things we don't like. But one thing I do love, I don't know that I've ever visited, no, once, once I went there, once I went, and there was not a man in children's church. Their toddler group is now led and organized by a man. Almost every single one of their children's ministry groups is led by a man. I love that. That's going to make such a difference. I'm sick and tired of men thinking, oh, if you need someone in the pulpit, I'm a man. Well, we need someone to teach children's church. Oh, that's a woman's job, those little kids. No, those little kids need to see a man. I've taught children's church, and I've seen the difference it makes when a man is teaching the class. In fact, I taught children's church in a church where it was incredible to watch. There was a period of time, a short period of time, where most of the classes were being led by men. And it made such a radical difference in the lives of children. And especially the children who had no fathers at home. Those men, those Sunday school teachers, for those children became like fathers. And it made a difference. You know, the seniors at the high school where I teach made a video. It's never been done before at our school that I know of, and I've been there 16 years. Besides their normal senior video, the seniors made a thank you video to teachers. You know what was fascinating that I noticed? For all the different women teachers, oh my gosh, there were so many different accolades they threw at them. Thank you for being so smart. Thank you for being compassionate. Thank you for being so creative. Thank you for this. Most of the men who I know who are like super dedicated teachers who not only teach well, but they actually get involved in the lives of the students. And we have a large proportion of fatherless children in our school. And you know what the number one thing they said about us male teachers? Mr. Torres, Mr. Norton. Mr. Mello, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
Thank you for being the best school dad. A girl, a man, a boy, a girl, a woman could ever need. Thank you for being like a dad to me. Thank you for being my school dad. Thank you. You're the reason I finished. I want to challenge you, men of God. And ladies, I I thank you for sticking with us. I see there's quite a few of you with us tonight. I love you, ladies, and I appreciate you and thank you. But my message is really to the men tonight. Men, will you be fathers? Because at the end, I want to close by going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. The Corinthian church had some people who were trying to lead them astray. And look at what Paul says. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be followers of me. See, we live in an age where everyone's like, don't follow me, follow Jesus, don't follow me, follow Jesus, don't follow me. No, 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 no. If I'm following Christ, I may stumble, I may make mistakes, I mess up, but by all means, follow me. I'm headed in the right direction. I'm not ashamed or afraid to have people follow my example as I follow Christ. I'm not being puffed up. I'm not trying to assume more of myself than I should. But there's something wrong with saying I'm a man of God, but don't follow me. If you're a man of God, who are you following? You're following Christ. If you're a mature man of God, and I don't necessarily mean that by age. I'm talking about that in terms of spiritual growth. If you put in the time on your knees in prayer. If you put in the time in scripture. If you've read from Genesis to Revelation at least once. And read several books multiple times. If you've been in the scripture and studying the word. And know how to exegete scripture. Then you are following God. And your heart is sensitive to hear from him. Why should not those behind you follow you? My wife should have every confidence that she could follow me. And I will not lead her off a spiritual cliff. My boys had best to follow me. Yes, I have errors. Yes, I have areas where I still need to clean things up. No, I'm not perfect. But I know for a fact if they follow me, They'll see my broken heart before God when I mess up. They'll learn that it's okay to be imperfect, but that you've got to keep striving for perfection. It's okay to stumble, but it's not okay to stay down. It's not okay to have a pity party. It's not okay to cry every time something doesn't go your way. You've got to man up. You've got to gird up your loins like men and follow God. So Paul says, follow me. But then he goes on and says, For this cause I sent Timothy to you, my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways. I have men, young men, who I fathered in Christ. And not only am I saying, follow me, but I can point to several and say, look at them. And you'll be okay. Look at them. I want to challenge you men listening tonight. Who's your Timothy? 
Who would you point to if you couldn't do the job, if you couldn't physically be there? Do you have at least one or two or three who you've so wonderfully mentored? And again, they're not perfect, but you'd be willing to say, go follow him. I'd be willing to say, go follow Mike Dorsali. Go follow Noah Alexander. Go follow Lijo Thomas. Go follow Eric Burgos. Go follow Frankie Vega. I've got some men out there who I'd be willing to say, and listen, I'm not saying and saying that, that they're perfect. I'm not saying even that their doctrine is 100% on everything. I'm saying if you follow them, you'll see what manhood looks like. I've poured into them, and I know they know what manhood under God looks like. Who's your Timothy? And if you don't have one, go find one. Because the greatest legacy you will leave on earth is not a financial inheritance to your children. Not a million dollar life insurance policy or solid 401k or a home that you can bequeath to your children when you go, a physical house. The greatest legacy you will leave on this earth is men with hungry hearts chasing after Jesus. Who's your Timothy tonight, men? Do you have at least one? He then goes on and says, now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord will. And I will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but their power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And brothers, that's true in every aspect of our lives. We live in an age of talking heads and many words. But faith without works is dead. What are you doing? Show me your power. Show me changes in your life. Show me what you're accomplishing. Uh, I can talk a great game. I don't care what you can say. Show me what you can do. I believe in deliverance. Deliver somebody. You're a man. Stop chasing after every deliverance minister on earth. Free me. Free me. Why don't you grab onto Christ? Get free. And then start bringing other people out of their ditches. Running around like little girls. Free me, free me. Grow up and be a man. If you're insulted, good, but don't turn this off, man. I'm talking to you real now like men. I've got two and three-year-old boys. And I tell my boys, hey, sometimes you don't cry. Yeah, I know that's not socially acceptable. I know we live in the... No, you've got to let him get in touch with his feelings. Oh, man, no. The heart is deceitfully wicked. My boys will not follow their emotions every time they kick in. Sometimes you've got to man up. Sometimes you've got to gird up your loins. Sometimes you've got to have a little bit of internal fortitude. And just decide, I'm going to overcome this one. I'm not going to cry over every boo-boo and bruise. You know what I've taught my sons already at three and two? My three-year-old will tell you. He looks at scrapes and cuts on his arms. He goes, look, Daddy, I got a battle scar. Not, I got a boo-boo. Can you? No. Now, listen, sometimes he gets hurt. I got a boo-boo, and he needs a hug. I give it to him. But sometimes he gets a scrape. I'm like, son, that's nothing. Stop crying. And you know what he does? He stops. He says, yeah, dad, look, a battle scar. 
Man up. You don't know what they did to me. Carry your battle scars. The way male lions do. Do you know that the scars on a male lion, as he gets older, attract more lionesses and increase his rank among his pride? you know why? His scars talk about battles he's won. Stop crying a river of tears over, this was hard, I lost this job, this business failed, then get up and try again. Be a man. Now listen, I know I said before about having a friend. Yes, have that one friend you can turn to and go to, and y'all going to cry it out for a few minutes. But when you're done crying, man up. and Fight the good fight and run your race. Don't box against the air. Don't fight every opposition. Know your target. Know what you're called to. Be a man. Be an example. Be a father. Be a husband. Be a loving, involved father to this world. Show forth the power of God. And then I love this. He says, so what will you? Do you want me to come with the rod or in love? Do you want me to come in the spirit of meekness? Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. Moses was the meekest man who ever lived. This man raised up his rod and split the Red Sea. And I know what you're going to say. Well, God did that. God doesn't say that. When Moses cried out to God, God said, why are you standing here crying out to me? Lift up your rod and split the sea. He didn't say lift up your rod and I'll split it. Now we know that God did that. But what was he saying? I've empowered you. Do what I called you to do and I'll make it work even though it seems impossible. So meekness is having my power and authority under control. I don't insist on it every time. I don't blow up over everything. See, that's the problem with the feminization of men. So men are blowing up, blowing up and going off and getting all emotional. Listen, oh, my wife blows up. She has a right to. She's a woman. Their emotions affect them greater than they affect men. That's why women are at the same time more emotionally intelligent and yet their emotions get them into more trouble than men. It's the nature of womanhood. Stop being a woman. Man up. I have some more I have some more clear ways I'd rather say that but I'm not going to because we're in mixed company. Women and children are listening. If we were alone in a men's group I have a better way of saying that to you but I won't. Man up. Man up. Take responsibility. Get before God. You take responsibility for the growth of your home. You take responsibility for the growth of your children. You take responsibility for the life of your church. You take responsibility. And one more time, I challenge you men, the next time they need a volunteer to work the children's ministry, you sign up. Oh, I don't deal well with little kids. Can I be honest with you? And my wife would think I'm lying to say this. I don't either. I don't deal well with little children. That's why I teach high school. But if you saw me around my two and three-year-old boys, you'd never know that. If you saw me volunteering in the toddler room in children's church, you wouldn't know that. 
Because I can be all things to all men according to the power that Christ has given me. For the greater one lives in me. And Jesus loves the little children. And Jesus says, suffer the little children to come on to me. I love that translation. I'm sick and tired of the modernized translation. Let them. No, he didn't say let. He said suffer. It's translated that way. Because in Greek it means it's going to be hard. And it's not going to be usual. And it's going to be uncomfortable for you. But do it anyway. Sign up. Next time your children's ministry is having a retreat or a camp or going on some trip, you volunteer to chaperone. Men, I challenge you, even if it means losing a couple of dollars, one time this next school year, if you have young children and they go on field trips, at least one time, take a day off from work to go on your children's trip. I know it's going to be a tight week. Listen, you don't know what it would mean for my family for me to lose a day of pay. But you know what? You don't know the dividends it pays off to have your kid. That's my dad. My dad's on the trip. And by the way, watch how many discipline problems on trips disappear when a couple of dads are on the trip. Get some men on that school bus and watch those kids quiet now. Daddy's on the trip. Listen. I know at times tonight I may have sounded angry. I'm not even necessarily, even if you're one of these weak, need, wussified men, I'm not even mad at you. I'm mad at the spirit of this age that's feminizing our men and our boys. I'm angry, violently angry with the feminization of manhood in my nation. But I love you. And hear me, men, young men. I believe in you. In fact, I believe in you to the point, listen, I'm going to say this, and it's a lot for me to throw this out there. Please hear me. If you are a young man listening to this message, and you say, Brother Pete, I don't, I'm doing my best. And I want to be a role model to other young men, to younger men than me, and to children. But I've never had a mentor, and I need some help. I'm going to challenge you to do two things. Number one, get deeper into Scripture, make a deeper connection to God. And then I tremble at doing this, but I do it only because I feel God is leading me to do it, not under emotion. I'm doing because it's necessary. If you have no other mentor, now listen, I can't promise you many hours. I have three small boys, one three-year-old and two two. And I have a wife. I have at least at least one full-time job and several part-time jobs. But if you text me, I will text you back. I will follow up. I will pray for you. If you're willing to do this mostly through text, because a lot of time, the only time I have free is late at night, and I can't get on the phone because my boys will wake up if they hear my voice, and so it may have to be done mostly through texting or you know, Skype chat or something like that. But if you reach out to our church line, 845, wait, yeah, 845-553-0883. 
I'll make a covenant with you tonight that whenever you text and say, Brother Pete, I need prayer. Brother Pete, I just need a chat. Now, please don't abuse that. Understand how precious my time is. It's such a precious commodity. But if no one else will stand there with you, then I'll be the Paul to your Timothy. As long as you agree to be a Paul to others and find their Timothy, then use that number. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word tonight. And right now, Lord God, as a community of faith, every single one of us listening, you said if two or three of if two of us agree as touching anything, we ask it will be done. And so, Lord, we touch and agree tonight that our communities, our homes, our cities, our towns, our states, our nations need fathers. And we're asking you, Lord God, to raise up that spirit of Elijah in the men of this generation. From the East Coast to the West Coast, from the North to the South, all over the United States. Going further North, oh God, from the border with the United States, all the way up to Washkaganish, let the Spirit fall all over Canada. South of the border, from Mexico to Guatemala to Panama, down to South America and throughout the Caribbean, over the Pacific Ocean, over all the Pacific Islands, to Southeast and East Asia, to South Asia, crossing over through Russia into Western Europe and all of Africa. And Lord, in all that crossing, don't forget Australia. Father, cover this earth. You said your eyes roam to and fro upon the earth, looking for a man through whom to show himself strong. Find those men and endue them, Father, with the spirit of Elijah. Please, Lord, imbue them with the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers back to their children and of children back to their father. Pour out of your Holy Spirit one more time, Lord God, and light a fire that overcomes the self-aggrandizement and the selfishness and the prosperity and the greed, etc. of this generation. And instead, Lord says, make me a sacrifice to this next generation so that we might raise up men in the image of Jesus Christ. That once again, we would have Davids in homes and businesses and communities across the world. And that those Davids would be surrounded by mighty men who once again take the sword of the Spirit in their hand till it cleaves to their hand and becomes a part of them and pushes back the enemies and takes ground once again. And Lord, I know if you do this, it will delay your coming, but give us a season, Lord. Give us a season to one more time call forth men and women to be saved. 
to transform a generation and leave this generation. Father, Father, if the end must come and Christ must return, and we know that it must, let us have lived lives that leave this generation with no excuse. For they will have seen clearly in us the image of God in our sacrificial love for our wives and in our fatherly dedication to our children and the children around us. So that there will no more be widows, strangers and fatherless within our borders who do not know the protection, provision, support, love, care, and authority of fatherhood. And for all the men, Lord God, who have messed up along the way, who have wives and children, Lord, from whom they are estranged, we pray even for them tonight. Lord, that you not only forgive them, but that you heal their wounds and errors so that they are able to move forward and finish the work to which you have called them. Father, all these things we ask in that wonderful and holy name that is the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Um, I want to go to one more song of worship and then just close out. Uh, Before I do, couple of announcements. Number one, I want to prepare you in advance. Um, At some point this summer, please keep following us on Facebook, Twitter. Um, On Twitter, we're at KQC Fire. Okay. On Facebook, facebook.com slash KQC Ministries. On our own website, kqcministries.org. Um, Our services at some point during the summer are going to get a little sporadic. That is intentional. Um, I need to dedicate a little more time to my family this summer. There's some things I need to accomplish at home. Okay. Um, The other thing is I may be, I'm hoping, I'll let you know later on, but in August I may be in the uh, Kentucky area. For those of you in Kentucky or near uh, Ohio and that area, I, I may be right. On, I may be in Kentucky, but from what I understand, on the border with Cincinnati, etc. Um, if you're a regular part of the KQC family, while I'm out there, I'd love to meet you, shake your hand, share some fellowship with you. Um, I was debating at one point, actually trying to set up. A worship service on a Sunday while I'm there, but I don't know if I'm going to do that. Um, I don't know if I'm going to do that only because that's not really why I'm going there. Okay, so I will let you know as these things happen. All right, please keep on with us, keep supporting us. Men, remember my promise. Also tonight, listen, if you would like to support this ministry financially, most of you know how to do that. Um, I've taken on the attitude of Paul, and I thank God that for a season he's given me the grace to be able to do that. 
I will work with my own hands and do what I need to do to keep this ministry running. But if you believe in what we're doing and you'd like to support us, I invite you, please, three ways to do it. You already know this. Um, you can go to our website, kqcministries.org, and click the Donate tab. You can use PayPal, Pop Money, Quick Pay, or the Better Now, Christelle. Okay? Or you can write to us. Whichever way you choose to do it, we appreciate your support. Please keep praying for us. And uh, I'm not going to open up our live prayer line tonight. Um, unless, listen, unless you are a man and have an urgent question, then I invite you, call in. In fact, let me give you that number. That number is 646-721-9917, and you're going to press option one. By the way, you only have five minutes to do that, so if you're going to do that, don't play games. Do it now. Otherwise, we're going to worship for a while, and then we're going to close out. And I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to do this. We're going to play this song. Um, I know it's been overplayed in some ways, but tonight it's the great song to play. Good, good father. Let's worship a little longer and then we'll pray out. Thank you for joining us and thank you for your love and support. Let's, let's fellowship and worship a little while. Yeah. Uh -huh.
seconds. this for one moment. Um, I just want to answer a question. I'm sorry, there may have been others. Um, no one called in, but I do see the question here. Pastor, what did you say earlier about not needing a woman who would submit to a godly man? No, what I was saying is I've never met a woman who wouldn't submit to a godly man. Even the most feminist women I've ever known, when I describe to them what a godly man looks like and what submission to him really means, she realizes, see, when you submit to a godly man, you don't lose anything. He doesn't take away any of your honor. He doesn't take away any of your power. He doesn't take away. What he takes away is a lot of the burdens and stress that you carry. Submission to a godly man should bring a degree of stability and peace and calm and joy into life that de-stresses a woman. Therefore, I've never met a woman who would not submit to a godly man once she understands what that submission means. See, we see the word submission as shut up and we beat you down. That's not submission. And a godly man wouldn't do that because a godly man is called 
to love you the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So he sacrifices for you. And what was Christ's goal? To present the church to God, perfect and undefiled. So the goal of a godly man in loving you is to present you unto God, perfect and undefiled. He's patient and loving, but he wants to see you grow. He holds your hand through the storms. He chases away the wolves and keeps at bay the enemies who would ravage and destroy you. Yet, when you insist on going your own way and doing your own thing, he gives you enough leeway to make your own mistake. He respects your autonomy, though at the end of the day, he knows he's trying to lead you in the right path. At the end of the day, a godly man is a man who leads you to God. And he leads by example through prayer and love, not by overbearing authority. Therefore, submission to him means to accept his love and his authority and to help him accomplish the goodwill of God in the earth. Do you see what I'm saying, ladies? Anyway, um, I didn't see any other questions. If there were any, I apologize. I really didn't see anything else. Um, So at this point, I want to just say we love you and Jesus loves you. Have a great, great week. Be a blessing to others. And please, listen, ladies, ladies, don't, don't do this with the wrong heart. Don't send this with a, you better listen to this, you need this kind of mentality. But do me a favor, not because I want to make my name known, that's irrelevant. But please, get this message, men and women, into the hands of as many men as you know. I want them to hear this challenge. I want us to challenge men to be men again. And I want them to know that it's okay to be men. It's good to be men. Manhood is not toxic. And the world needs men. Godly men. Good men. Father, thank you for these who have joined us. Thank you for the privilege of preaching your word. Thank you, Lord, that at the end of the day, you are example. And you are the great, great, good father. Now, Lord, please, in accordance with your word, I bless these who have gathered with us. I declare them to be the head and not the tail, above only and never beneath. Bless them, lead them, guide them, strengthen them, teach them, and keep them in your ways. We love you, Lord, and we thank you because you are indeed our good, good, good Father. Brothers, sisters, friends, thank you for joining us. Have a great, awesome night, a great week in Christ. The Lord bless you and keep you always. Good night and God bless. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye.
place to end. Brothers, sisters, friends, don't forget, not only is he a good father, but being his beloved is the definition of who you are. The Lord bless you and keep you until we meet again on this side of eternity or the next. We love you. Have a good night. God bless.